Welcome back to the Reformed Rant. My name is Ed Dingus, and today I'm ranting about politics. Have you given much thought to how Christians should think about politics in whatever system that you find yourself living in? Can you be a Christian and vote for a particular political platform or ideology, such as Democrat or, or Republican? Is it wrong for Christian leaders to openly criticize the politics of government leaders? Should Christian leaders get into those kinds of conversations? How do we honor God in our thoughts, words, and actions where politics is concerned? Because at the end of the day, we are all created in the image of God to be like Him. And as believers in Christ, our primary aim in life, our goal, our duty, our calling is to glorify God and to honor Christ in this day and age in which we find ourselves in whatever culture we may be living in. Let's talk about that. What do you think? <clears throat> Would Jesus have been a Democrat? In this environment, in American culture, could Jesus have been a Democrat? It's a question that I think is worth asking. I th there are very few questions that I don't that I don't think is worth asking, but there are some questions that are just interesting, and this is an interesting question. And we don't ask it just because it's interesting. We ask it because it does have implications. If you haven't noticed, there is a move afoot in the evangelical churches, especially in the Southern Baptist churches, and I, I suppose in the PCA churches. The two denominations that are considered to be conservative Christian Bible-believing denominations um, that exist today. The rest have, for the most part, fallen by the wayside. Um, and the others are the, the Pentecostals and, and Charismatics out on, in most cases, the fringes. But would Jesus have been a Democrat? 
we have a lot of wrangling going on in uh, the evangelical churches around um, Donald Trump, around the GOP, around conservative politics. We're, we hear terms that are used um, such as single-issue voters. Um, this is an, an, another term that I'm hearing a lot lately is nationalism. The single-issue voter term is... Uh, aimed at those Christians who vote a certain way over the single issue of abortion. The single issue uh, of abortion. Um, can you vote for a politician who supports abortion? The question is, is it a sin to vote for a politician whose philosophy uh, condones the practice of the murdering of innocent babies in their mother's womb? That's, that's the question. This seems to be, uh, without m much dispute, a platform of the Democratic Party. I understand that there are some Democrat, Democrats, I suppose, in office who are opposed to abortion, but gosh, what a handful? I don't know. Not, not, not very many. And then the other term that's tossed out is um, nationalism. And nationalism um, is an interesting term. Um, I think if you look at the history of that word and how it was used in the past. And I am no expert here, so please, uh, I could be off the, off the mark. So I'm not gonna hold myself out as an expert. I'm gonna tell you what I think, and I'm just kind of thinking out loud here as I rant about politics. Nationalism, uh, when, I when I hear that word, I don't know what you think. I don't know what runs through your mind, but I will, I will share with you what runs through my mind immediately. Um, Hitler, Nazism, fascism, communism. These are things that, that run through my mind when I hear nationalism. I think about, if you want to go back to biblical, biblical times, if you want to go back to the Greco-Roman world of Christ and the apostles and the Roman Empire, I think of nationalism. I think of of Rome uh, as the as elevated as godlike status, the empire. Uh, if you are an enemy of Rome, then that's a very dangerous thing to be. These are the images that come to mind when I hear the word nationalism, and I think it's probably safe to say that. For most people who are familiar with that term, that it's probably the image that, or close to it, that comes to their mind as, as well. So you, we do things with words. So when social justice warriors uh, operating you know, within their, their sphere and, and doing their thing to influence and propagate and put forth their views and 
persuade and convince. Use, they will use the word nationalism. They'll use the expression single issue voters, and they're doing something with the use of these words. They're, they're trying to get somewhere. In fact, what they're trying to do is they're trying to move other people. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to move you and me. They're trying to move us from our position or move people from their, their position, politically speaking. So <clears throat> what, what bothers me, I think, the most about these two expressions is nationalism, uh, I think... What they are doing is they have taken people who who honor their who honor the country. And this, let's just say, you know, we're, we, I live in America. A lot of the audience that listens to this podcast lives in America. Doesn't matter if it's America or whatever country that you find yourself in. The idea here is that most people who are born in a country have a, a degree of allegiance, loyalty, identity uh, to that country. And America is no different. Most people who are born here have a certain allegiance, a certain affinity for the place where they were born. This is their home. This is my home. I was born here. Uh, my parents, my parents, my ancestors came over from Germany in, at least on my dad's side, uh, in uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of the, the mid 1750 or what have you. My mom's side, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, my mom's side of the family is from Ireland, so I'm Irish German. So as an American, um, there are, as an American growing up, raised in the country, there's this sense of, of patriotism that I still have to this day. Now, it used to be a lot different than it is uh, today. I'm much more, um, I guess, uh, less naive. I understand that, like every other country in the world, we, we have our share of, of warts. Um, and I'm not a, I'm not an American Christian. I am a Christian who happens to live in America. And this is where God placed me. So as an American, um, there's, there's some patriotism that runs through my blood. The thing that bothers me, I guess, about the use of the term nationalism is that in many cases, when these evangelical social justice warriors are using these terms, what they're seeing, what they are seeing and labeling nationalism used to be called patriotism in most cases. All right. So we have negative thoughts conjured up in our mind when we hear the word nationalism. We think of Nazism. We think of World War II Germany. We think of World War II Japan and, and so on and so forth. 
And it's unattractive. It's uninviting. It's something that is kind of repugnant and repulsive. That's the image that's, that's drawn up in, in our minds. These are word games that people play. The homosexual movement uh, played these word games beautifully to get gay marriage passed and homosexuality uh, to be accepted by the pagan culture the way that it is today by referring to anyone who disagreed with the homosexual lifestyle as hateful and bigoted. Well, no one wants to be hateful and bigoted. And so they did. Th they employed this strategy repeatedly through every medium they could get their hands on, and it worked. Unfortunately, it seems to me like uh, we have evangelical leaders doing the same kind of thing in, in the churches, and this is regrettable. We are borrowing uh, pages from the world and using them in the church to manipulate and move and influence and persuade when the way the church is supposed to be convinced to change behavior is through the Word of God, the truth of Scripture and divine revelation brought to bear on a situation through the, the intercessory work or the intermediary work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So this is, in my mind, um, this is one of the things that really bothers me about that. So would, would Jesus uh, have been a Democrat? It's hard for me to imagine that Jesus would have been okay belonging to a political party uh, that had as one of its central platforms the murder of innocent babies in the womb. And as another one of its central platforms, the, the acceptance of gay marriage, which is a perversion of the most basic and fundamental institution uh, in humanity that was instituted by God, and that is the, the family, uh, marriage between one man and one woman. So um, it's hard for me to imagine that. Now, someone may say, well, I couldn't imagine Jesus belonging to the Republican Party because of the greed and the materialism and so on and so forth. Well, okay. So here's here's the way this is this is often framed out. I want to th let's think through this for a little bit, right? Um, it is a fact that a central plank of the Democratic Party is abortion on demand. I mean, that, that seems obvious. It also seems uh, to be central to that party uh, that uh, gay marriage and hom the homosexual movement be fully embraced and celebrated and protected in, in whatever way that those people want it to be protected um, and celebrated and so forth. So that, that seems to be without question. Now, is it the case on the opposite side of the spectrum? And I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I am an independent. So just <laughs> for fair disclosure. Uh, is it the case that a Republican or a political conservative, that a central part of that platform is greed and materialism? Is, is that a necessary part of the Republican platform? Is it obvious that all Republicans are filled with greed and materialism? And the answer is no. 
what is the case is that it seems that the Repu- that a central plank of the Republican platform is free markets and capitalism to let the market demand uh, the services and products that are offered at the price the market is willing to pay. This type of system indeed will will, there is no mechanism in capitalism that protects from people being greedy. I don't think there's any mechanism um, necessarily in the Democratic Party that protects from that either. Because when you look at the two systems, the one wanting more of a socialist system and the the Republicans wanting a a capitalist system, um, in the one case, you you have the Republican case that the problem is with the greed of 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 business and the power of of business. However, that that is somewhat... uh, governed, controlled, managed by what the market will tolerate. And I'm not talking, I'm just speaking a little bit of economics here. I'm not getting into the theology of all this. Greed is a a vile sin. It is a wicked sin. In fact, um, greed, let me just uh, see if I can do something relatively quickly. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, Paul said, uh, but actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. So covetousness, a, a person who is given over to covetousness is someone that we really should avoid, the same as a person who is sexually being practicing sexual immorality. So that is absolutely uh, something that, as a brother, we have to consider. As the church, we have to purge that nonsense from us, from our midst, uh, either through excommunication or repentance, right? But as for the Republican platform or the conservative political position or even for capitalism, uh, it provides the means for people to be materialistic and greedy, but there's nothing in the system itself that requires that. It is not inherently uh, lending itself to greed. There's nothing in capitalism that says... Uh, if you're a successful businessman, you have to hoard it to yourself. You shouldn't be charitable. That's absurd. And that's the point, you see. What is the criticism that's leveled by these social justice warriors is that if you are a conservative, you're given over to greed, you're given over to materialism, you're given over to covetousness. And that's utterly ridiculous. All you're, all you're saying is that you believe that the markets should determine what the cost for uh, services and goods should be and how they should be uh, offered and supplied. That's all you're saying. 
the other side of this is, so on the one side, you have the entire marketplace, which is all of us basically saying, we will pay X for X and no more. And it will perform X for us. And if it doesn't, we will get it from someone who, who will make, make this product so that it does. On the other side of the coin, you have social socialism, which takes that, that, that governor of, of free market, that free market governor, the, the marketplace, the, the people, the, the demand, and it fixes it. It, the, it, it. it locates it in the hands of a few who will then say whether or not you and I need that product, how much of that product's going to be available, what kind of product it's going to be, and how much we're going to pay for it. Rather than us determining that, the, the government is 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 making that determination. So so this really comes back to kind of a le- a lesson in in economics and I I really don't want to get too far off the beaten path, but that's fundamentally when you think about the very basic differences between the two systems, those are the differences and so when you hear the social justice warriors talk about taking money and and redistributing it and giving it to other people. Listen, listen, the Bible never compels anyone to give. The Bible pleads with people to give as if it is theirs. Now, I know, look, I get, I get it that my attitude should be that everything I have belongs to God. And therefore, I'm going to give from that attitude. And that should be my attitude. Okay, that's one thing. But for me to adopt the attitude that everything you have belongs to God, and therefore, you better give this. Or worse, I'm going to go to Caesar and convince him to take it from you and give it to this other person over here who is oppressed. That is theft. There is nothing in the Christian worldview, there is nothing in the Christian ethic that would condone that kind of an attitude because that is, in fact, using the king to steal. Now, if... If the civil authorities decide they're raising taxes, we render to Caesar what is due. But we don't tell Caesar how to spend his taxes. Jesus didn't do that. The the apostles didn't do that. Jesus spoke to individuals. Jesus preached the gospel to individuals and said, repent and believe, believe the gospel. We give... Out of, a, out of a loving heart because God has poured his grace on us and that's how we respond to God pouring his grace out on us. We love one another, right? So there is a, there's a disconnect that's going on with the social justice warriors, with these evangelical leaders who are getting all involved in politics and trying to use the political system 
and even trying to use the church to change the political system. So these guys will go into the Old Testament theocracy and try to pull laws and rules out of ancient Israel and impose them on the American government or the English government or, or whomever. And, and I'm saying to you that that practice is not supported by the scriptures. It, that practice is employing what we would call a deficient or illegitimate interpretive method uh, that is out of step with how the scriptures ought to be understood and inter- interpreted and applied. It's really, it really is that simple. This is not America is an ancient Israel. Uh, you know, England is not ancient Israel. Canada is not ancient Israel, right? Uh, Brazil is not ancient Israel. China, Russia, we are not. Those, those, that system that was in place in ancient Israel is no longer in place. It has been replaced with the new covenant. And that old system was a system that was a type and a shadow of what was to come. The reason the theocracy existed in the first place was not to point toward, uh, point pagan governments in the direction of how to how you should govern, how you should do government. What it was for was to point to how things were going to happen in the church, you see. So uh, one of the things that's interesting to me about all of this, especially about um, helping the oppressed and the, the orphans and the widows and the alien, is the fact that so few of these guys are informed on how the alien, the orphan, and the widow were treated in ancient times compared to what we see in, in modern times. Right? So, you know, uh, the, the widow, if you read Paul and his writing to Timothy, I think it's 1 Timothy 5, where he gives the instructions, the restrictions for placing a widow on the list, not just any widow, qualified for assistance from the church. Now, if you listen to the social justice warriors and their and their politics and their rantings here, uh, it would seem that there are no lists in place that anyone has to meet in order to be a beneficiary of these resources from the church, which is really incredibly fascinating to me because when you look at uh, the New Testament, you see just you see just the opposite. You see Peter in Sapphira and Ananias when 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 that couple decided to lie to the Holy Spirit. Peter's attitude toward them was not this was God's money, how dare you steal from God. They didn't they didn't uh, they were not stricken because they uh, stole from God. Peter said the money was yours. The property was yours. It was all yours before you sold it. And after you sold it, the money that you you received for selling it was yours. You you to do with what you wanted. He was under no compulsion to bring that money in and give it to the church. These these modern social justice warriors do not paint the picture that way. They paint it in just the opposite direction. 
the reason Sapphira and Ananias uh, were judged was because they lied to the Holy Spirit to make themselves look a certain way. So, you know, uh, would Jesus have been a de Democrat? I, I, I really find that, uh, I find it hard to believe that he, he would have been. Uh, would he have been a Republican? Um, you know, find me something in the Republican platform that you have to affirm for the most part in order to really be a Republican. And somebody's going to say, well, you don't have to, you don't have to affirm abortion to be a Democrat, and you don't have to affirm homosexuality to be a Democrat, and you don't have to affirm socialism uh, or uh, cultural Marxism to be a Democrat. And, and the answer is, well, yeah, but I mean, uh, then what do you have left? <laughs> you have a Republican walking around call, uh, who just calls himself a Democrat, but in reality, he's acting like a Republican. Right, and so words mean things, right? So when we say Democrat, we mean someone who is pro-abortion. We mean someone who is pro-homosexuality, pro-gay marriage, pro-big uh, government. That's what we mean, having the government run things uh, and uh, the cultural Marxism and, and that sort of thing. So, And I don't mean to oversimplify it, but I am speaking... In generalities, um, can you be a Republican and 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 not be filled with greed and materialism? There are tons of Republicans who are not filled with greed and materialism. So the answer is yes. I mean that to me is an easy thing, easy thing to answer. And for people who for people who think otherwise, you know, uh, they're okay. So the burdens on them. <laughs> Show us exactly where it is in the platform. And the other thing is, and again, I'm not a Republican, so. The other thing uh, that I think uh, that we we talk about is is the wall, right? So, how what should a Christian think about what should a Christian think about think about the wall? Um, you know, is it does the Old Testament uh, language regarding aliens um, mean? Should it be understood to to be opposed to the idea of a wall, or let's take it up at a higher level? Should it be interpreted as meaning that a country cannot establish legal um, processes for immigrants coming into the country? And the answer is no. There is absolutely nothing in the old, even in the theocracy, which doesn't apply today, but even if you tried to use the theocracy, you could look all over the theocracy and ask the question: Does is there anything in here that says uh, this this principle here prohibits a nation from uh, protecting its borders and protecting its citizens and establishing legal processes uh, for entering the country and and being here in, in a legal status? And the answer is no. Uh, there's nothing in the Old Testament that does this, and and the people who who use widows, orphans, and aliens from the Old Testament to try and push their social justice warrior nonsense today are extremely sloppy in how they handle the text. And this is why many people many people recognize that the social justice warriors don't want to debate. They don't want to sit down and answer questions and walk through. The scriptures exegetically. Find one that'll do it. Find one. 
find one that will do it. We recently had Phil Johnson bring Al Mohler, Mark Dever, Ligon Duncan into the Shepherds Conference Q&A and attempt to do just this very thing. And none of those men would respond to those questions in an honest and straightforward way. Not one. None of them responded like a pastor. Every single one of them sounded like a politician who had been through whatever school Washington sends their politicians through. That's what they sounded like. And I don't mean that disrespectfully to Al Mohler or Mark Dever or Ligon Duncan. Uh, but the fact is that the way they conducted themselves was shameful and, and we should be critical of it with, with all due respect. Uh, you know, Peter and Paul were friends. They were apostles. They were friends. And, you know, contrary to John MacArthur not wanting to fight with his friends, Paul loved Peter enough to rebuke him to his face. So we have to love our friends enough to confront them when they are in, when they are in error. But the point here is that these guys don't want to support their social justice politics and their involvement in politics with biblical exegesis. Because these men are trained, and, and I, I suspect that they know that their arguments are, are exceptionally weak, and, and therefore they, they don't support them. Instead, they engage in rhetoric and propaganda. They use terms like nationalism uh, to criticize people who are patriotic toward their country, which I think is fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with a Christian being patriotic toward his country. Now, you cannot excuse. You have to call people in, uh, in whatever country you're in, you have to call these individuals to repentance whenever you have the opportunity to do that. You cannot call a country to repent. Now, this is something that is nonsensical that I hear and see all the time. We have to call America to repentance. <sighs> you don't call countries to repentance. Yeah, the Old Testament did that. The old covenant did that. Israel called people groups to repentance. In the New Testament, we go into all nations and we call all individuals to repentance. All right. Again, it's a type and a, a foreshadow. We are still preaching the gospel of repentance, but we don't look at Russia and say, hey, Russia, repent and turn to Christ. All right? We don't do that, and we don't do it with America either. We preach the gospel and speak, speak the truth into the lives of our neighbors and our co-workers and people that we go to church with and, and people we don't go to church with and people we meet on the street. And, you know, some people will go to events and hand out tracts and they're street preachers. and We do that, right? So, you know, how much thought have you given to how Christians should think about politics. Can you be a Christian and vote for a Democrat? Uh, can you be a Christian and vote for someone who is pro-abortion? Is that a sin to do that? Is it, is it a violation of God's law for you to vote for someone who is pro-abortion? So this is where I am very careful. Look, I'm 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 not going to come right out and say 
that I think you sinned. But I am going to ask you how you did that. How, if you have two people in front of you that you're voting for, and one of them is for abortion and one of them is not, why did you vote for the person who believes it's okay to kill babies? I want to understand your thinking. Now, here's the thing. I'm not going to tell you that you sinned by casting that vote. And the reason I'm not going to tell you that you sinned by casting that vote is because I cannot, uh, I cannot bring Scripture into this and, and support that view. So don't throw me under the bus here because, look, if you vote for a Republican... I guarantee you that 99% of the time you're voting for an unbeliever. And that unbeliever embraces policies and views and perspectives that are wicked as well. So you have to say, here's what you end up having to do. If you're going to take it all the way to, I think it's a sin to vote for a Democrat. You're going to have to justify where you draw the line. You're going to have to come up with some sort of objective standard by which you say, okay, I can vote for this guy or gal, uh, even though they have wicked policies, wicked policies, wicked policies, until the policies get to this level of depravity, and then I can no longer vote for that person. Okay, that's fine. The question is, how did you arrive at that? Where did how, I mean, You marked off this level of depravity that if it sinks lower than this level, I can't vote for that person. Where did you come up with that line of depravity? How did you go about establishing that? Is that objective or is that subjective? Is it something you did on your own or can you point to somewhere in scripture that says you can do this? Right, see, and that's my problem. My problem is that I can't do that. So I take a little bit of a different approach here. If, I've, if I'm talking to a Christian who says, this is a traditional Republican, this is a traditional Democrat. This way I know that uh, the traditional Republican is, is going to be opposed to abortion, going to be opposed to gay marriage, going to be um, um, capital, you know, free markets, capitalism, small government. And the Democrat is going to be pro-abortion, murder, uh, pro-homosexual marriage, um, more socialists in their view, big government, um, and things of this nature, then I am going to press the person on, you know, help me understand your thought process for, for why you voted this way. What is it that this person stands for that you think deserves your vote? Let's have a conversation about that. And <clears throat> so, okay, so that we go down that path. But what am I doing? What am I really trying to do? Is this political? Really? Are we, is that what we're doing? No, no, no. It shouldn't be. Should not be. See, because your political behavior, who you vote for, how you vote, how you think about politics and so forth, all of that should be informed by your theology your view of Christ, your view of Scripture, your view of God, your view of holiness, your view of, of sin, right? And it is, it is those things 
that I'm trying to understand in your mind, right? So that's where the conversation is going to go. This isn't about politics. It's about discipleship. I want to know where you are on these things. I want to know why you think the way you think. One of the things that I'm going to be looking for is your view on Scripture. Do you believe that Scripture is inerrant? Is it inspired? Is it the Word of God? Is it fully authoritative? Is it our final authority? Right? That's one of the things that I'm really going to be looking for. You see, if, if I can get a Christian there, if I can get a Christian, and I'm talking pretty much baby Christians, if I can get a Christian to the point where they're accepting the historic Orthodox Christian view of Scripture and I can get them to accept that, then I can influence their behavior. Not me. Me, but not me, right? I can bring Scripture to bear. How could you do X, Y, Z if the Bible teaches you can't do that? If a man's about to leave his wife or a wife is about to divorce her husband, you see, and I know that they have a high view of Scripture and they take Scripture very seriously, then I can bring Scripture to bear on the situation and hopefully... Hopefully, if, if, if the person has genuine faith, we're gonna, we'll be able to, this will be an indication. I'm not going to say we'll be able to, to tell for sure, but this will give us an indication where they are, okay? Um, and hopefully we can move them. Scripture will move them. I won't move them. So when it comes to politics, I think, I think we want to be especially careful, especially when, when we're, we're talking about, you know, how how you register, who you can vote for, who you can't vote for, and so forth. I'm I'm not saying that it's a, a wide open issue. I don't think it's necessarily wide open. I think it's a little bit more complicated, and it is an area where we need to we need to think we need to think through it. And some of the some of the ways this this conversation is being framed up by the social justice warriors or the social justice movement uh, is really uh, really really bad. Uh, it's not being framed up. In, in a good way at all. So the next question then is uh, concerning, let's see, is it wrong for Christian leaders to openly criticize politicians? Yeah, that was my Doberman in the, in the background, and apparently he thinks that it is, uh, it is wrong. So we see this going on. Let's see how much time I have here. Oh, we're running out of time. We see this going on in the churches today. In fact, it got so bad with Russell Moore and Donald Trump that Donald Donald Trump said Russell Moore is truly a terrible representative of of evangelicals and all of the good they stand for. A nasty guy with no heart. Okay, so, you know, look, we cannot create the perception in the culture that what Christianity is about is taking over the government and imposing Christianity on the society. And unfortunately, when we get wrapped up in politics and focused on politics, we don't sound like we're preaching the gospel. We sound like we're preaching our political agenda and our social agenda, right? And our policies. And unfortunately, that's where, that's where we've been for a long time and there are some guys who are criticizing this, even though they might be on the wrong side of the fence. Their criticism isn't that far off base when it comes to this practice. Christians have to find a way to not be so wrapped up in politics. And I'm going to have to come back to this 
in another um, podcast. Maybe I'll maybe I'll do another one in a day or so to follow up and get more into the meat the meat of this. Peter, First uh, Peter two seventeen says, "Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king." Okay, now you know Peter wrote this around the time Nero was king at the time. Nero was the was was the emperor, and uh, Peter's writing this about. Nero, I mean, uh, you know, Nero makes Trump look like a choir boy. I'm serious. So look, um, this is not our calling. This is not what we're here for. The church of Jesus Christ has been left in the earth to be the light of the world, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to baptize converts and make disciples from every nation, every nation. That's why we are here. It is no longer the theocracy of the Old Testament. That was a type and a foreshadow of the church. Now, Acts chapter 2, Scripture says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. No longer is God restricting the covenant to the small nation of Israel. But now... We are all in Israel through the seed of Abraham, singular faith in Jesus Christ, you see. So the theocracy was a type and a shadow of the church that was to come and that was to be uh, a group of called out individuals from this dark pagan world into one body in Christ who is the head, to be the light of this world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hid, a light that proclaims the truth, and a light that executes, carries out, does, does the truth. So we have to continue to think about how we honor God in the area of politics, and we have to be aware of how our message uh, of of truth, our our preach, our gospel of of repentance uh, uh, toward God and faith in Jesus Christ, how that can potentially be misconstrued if we're placing it in the context of political conversation. So yes, we've 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 talked about uh, politics in Christianity for a long time, and we have. When we may have thought we were preaching repent, but what the world may may have been hearing wasn't the gospel of repentance. What the world was hearing was a political agenda, the same as they hear from all these other uh, entities that are out there maneuvering around political action committees, committees, and people who who want their piece of the political pie. And we, as a as a as the body of Christ, must steer clear of that. Okay. It's okay to be a patriot uh, w- with balance. It's okay to to love your country. You should love your country. Uh, America has its faults, but I will say, of all the places on this planet, I don't think there is a better place for a Christian to live right now than America. We have our liberties. We have our freedoms. We have our peace with which we can serve God without interference or interruption from the civil authorities for now, you see. so And, and that's a great thing to be celebrated. We should appreciate that. We should be loyal. We should be perceived 
as being loyal so long as that loyalty doesn't force us into a position where we have to sin against God. All right, so look, I'm going to come back to this a, um, another time. And uh, maybe within another, maybe the next episode and spend a little bit more time talking about the church, the state, uh, politics, and how Christians should think better about, about politics and about how we should relate to politicians, the civil authorities, and the perception that we should try to create to the world and where our focus really, really should be. All right. So listen, um, if you have any questions, comments, you can leave a message if you're listening on a mobile device in the, in the mobile app, uh, or you can go to Reformed Reasons on the front page and uh, leave a, a question or a comment. If you have ideas, suggestions, topics that you would like for me to cover, I would be more than happy to uh, take those into consideration and get them on the, on the program uh, if, uh, if we can. All right. Uh, thanks for listening to me rant. God bless. And until we rant again, take care. This podcast is part of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. Biblical Christianity's marketplace of ideas. BibleThumpingWingnut.com.